and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I'll be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good night, for, uh, good evening from Israel, I should say. Um, I've spoken about it a few times, but um, you know, I'm, I'm asked uh, usually by Stacy to give a, um, a sort of a, a title, a working title for this uh, uh, tonight's uh, webinar on Saturday night. So again, you know, sometimes I write something because that's what's an issue, you know, maybe over the end of the, the previous week, Thursday or Friday, don't forget in Israel, the weekend starts Friday and Saturday, as opposed to in the US and the UK and elsewhere, Saturday and Sunday. Um, and, uh, and so basically last week, there was uh, the latest uh, attack, a terrorist attack against an Israeli Jew by a Palestinian Arab, uh, not all of them being Palestinian, some of them have even been Israeli Arabs, but there was uh, a spate of terrorist attacks, uh, what some define as lone wolf, meaning that you know, many of these people did not belong necessarily to a terrorist organization, even though sometimes post-facto uh, groups like Hamas take responsibility or they congratulate uh, the people for, for the attacks. You, you saw the attack, which got a bit of news uh, and it happened outside the old city when, uh, when an ultra-Orthodox man was stabbed. Uh, that was the previous Saturday. And then uh, he was shot uh, on the ground by uh, Israeli soldiers. A lot of people, a lot of Palestinians or anti-Israel uh, activists uh, spliced the video to look, make it look like just someone was sitting around and then they were shot when actually they tried to stab a few people uh, with quite a nasty knife. Or, uh, a few days later, we saw the latest attack in uh, Sheikh Jarrah, Shimon and Sadiq neighborhood. Uh, those of you who've been following the news, uh, earlier in the year, uh, ostensibly, the uh, Hamas-Israel conflict uh, earlier in the year was partially, at least, claimed to be about uh, what's going on in Sheikh Jarrah. If you remember, there's a, there's a number of buildings in, in that area which were originally owned by uh, Jewish families, pre-state. Um, and then when that area was taken over by Jordan, uh, these houses uh, where the Jews had to flee or expelled but then handed over to uh, some Palestinian families who have been living there ever since. And um, uh, a number of years ago, Israeli uh, organizations who bought it off the, the family who originally owned it, took the Palestinian families to court and they ruled that they should hand it over. And then there was an appeal. So this process is winding its way through the Supreme Court and it caused quite an international outcry, if you remember. Um, and Hamas used it to garner support for what then became the latest uh, conflict, the flare-up. Uh, the, the, that particular neighborhood, there's still a lot of tensions, and there was a, a woman who was walking her children to kindergarten when, uh, a f I believe, a 14- or 15-year-old girl uh, walked behind her and took out a big kitchen knife and stabbed her in the back. Uh, thankfully, the woman was... Um, 
was not too seriously injured. She didn't go to hospital. The assailant fled to school uh, and apparently the school wouldn't give her up, but the army had to go in and, and get, uh, get her out. But uh, that was just the latest. I think there was five or six attacks in the last couple of weeks. And a lot of people asking, is this going to be something like uh, uh, what we had a few years ago when there was a lot of lone attacks? Um, and thankfully, I have to say, at least um, there hasn't been an attack this week, uh, not a successful one, at least. Uh, all the time, the Israeli security officials, police, army, um, border patrols are stopping and preventing attacks. And that's not to say that there is there are no attacks. And almost every day, there's some sort of rock throwing or maybe petrol bomb throwing on some of the roads in uh, Ju uh, Judea and Samaria, but there hasn't been one of these uh, stabbing attacks now uh, for about a week. Uh, so that was what sort of was, was, was the title um, of the webinar for this week. But the question is what actually is going on in these areas? And what we can see is that Hamas is trying to gain a foothold in Judea and Samaria. As we know, Hamas controlled the Gaza Strip. And, Fatah, in theory at least, control. Uh, Fatah is Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas, the uh, Palestinian president's party, and they control, ostensibly at least, uh, uh, Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. Actually, on the ground, there are many areas where neither groups are necessarily in control. It's the local authorities, sometimes the sheikh, sometimes it's on clan rule. Uh, but in the big cities, what we have seen is Hamas are trying to make a big play for taking control. And Fatah have are trying to beat them back, you know, as much as they both are not big fans of Israel, to put it mildly, they are not necessarily, they're, they're rivals, they don't like each other, uh, they, they're both trying to take power, so we've seen Fatah really try and uh, clamp down on Hamas, what we have seen, we haven't seen for quite a while, uh, is Hamas openly parading uh, through the streets, through Palestinian uh, major cities with with uh, not just their flags, but also rifles and arms and weapons. And this was more than a signal to Israel. This was a signal to Fatah. So perhaps uh, that with the ongoing incitement, the terror payments, um, things like that is probably behind what's going on at the moment. Uh, the, you know, the ground in Jerusalem in certain areas, at least, is still a little bit tense even from earlier in the year. And there are people who try to take advantage. Hamas are certainly uh, interested in uh, turning up the heat. They've said that if their demands are not met uh, on Gaza, then they, you know, that they will perhaps return to what they, you know, claim is the military option. In other words, firing rockets um, at Israeli population centers in the south, and really stirring things up uh, in Jerusalem and uh, and the West Bank. At the moment, it really isn't having too much of an effect uh, on the Israeli political scene. What has uh, had more of an effect this week, which is uh, has split uh, the coalition, as, as, as we've spoken quite a lot about, this coalition has strange ideological bedfellows. So far, they've been able to keep it under wraps. They've been able to uh, really ensure that these ideological differences haven't come to the fore. But uh, one, let's say, relatively minor tweet this week, certainly brought them to the front. Uh, Omer Barlev, who is the internal security minister in charge of police and, and things like that, uh, had a meeting with um, uh, a deputy secretary of state, I believe. And he quoted uh, that during the meeting, uh, what was discussed, one of the things that was discussed is what was described as settler violence. Um, and for that comment, he was praised by 
uh, some of the more left-wing members of the government. On the right, in the Amina party especially, he was condemned, um, especially as what I said before, in the backdrop of the fact that there have been numerous uh, Palestinian terrorist attacks in the last few weeks, that the fact that uh, you know there was a discussion with a senior foreign official, especially from the uh, American administration, and they spent at least a certain amount of time on what was described as settler, uh, settler terrorism or settler attacks, uh, obviously outraged uh, the right. Um, and that really did cause a bit of back and forth. Uh, interestingly enough, on that, um, when Benny Gantz, the, the defense minister, was in America uh, to, to talk about the Iran nuclear negotiations and Israel's point of view, and reportedly, uh, according to certain media outlets, to describe what uh, an Israeli potential attack would look like and the fact that they are preparing for that, at least preparing uh, the strategy in case that was necessary. Um, there were a lot of reports that said that during the meeting with Secretary of State Blinken, um, as much time on what Israel would describe as an existential threat, in other words, the Iranian nuclear weapons capability, uh, Secretary of State Blinken, and again, I stress this is according to reports, uh, wanted to spend as much time talking about settlements in Judea and Samaria. In other words, the building of Israeli homes over the Green Line was just as important uh, to senior, some of the most senior members of the US administration uh, as basically trying to coordinate what would be an existential threat to Israel. And as you can imagine, even there were foreign uh, ministry officials who also went on record and said there seems to be an obsession with settlements at the moment. We want to talk about Iran. We want to talk about the fact that Iran is weeks, maybe months away from nuclear threshold uh, state being able to enrich uranium to 90%, which is weapons grade material, which in theory should be a red line. Again, like we discussed a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't mean that necessarily that there's a missile ready. Uh, the capability to attach it to a missile could take up to two years, if not longer, but the fact that they will have this grade uh, material means that that technological uh, threshold has been met, and that is a very dangerous moment. So in Israel, the defense, security, and political levels are very worried about this. We saw that uh, senior IDF officials uh, went off record uh, with reporters in Europe, reporters in the US went to meet with uh, all sorts of officials, uh, real, a, a real uh, full court press, uh, on this issue, just to show really where, where Israel is standing on this, especially with the stalled Vienna uh, nuclear weapons uh, talks with Iran. Uh, but Israel's really trying to show, and it is extremely worried about the latest developments and the fact that, again, according to uh, certain um, leaks uh, and, and officials who, who remained anonymous, they said the Americans are, 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 seem to be obsessed with bringing up settlements every time they want to talk about uh, Iran. So that's obviously a concern here. In addition, um, what's also causing concern is reports are that uh, Israel purchased um, uh, refueling aircrafts that would be necessary for any sort of strike on Iran. And even though these have been purchased uh, and Israel wanted them uh, obviously sent over and moved up as soon as possible now, Israel is being told that uh, they won't be delivered until 2024. And again, I stress the point that uh, Israel believes, it's not just Israel's, there's other 
players around the world who believe that uh, Iran is weeks, months away from uh, that threshold status of 90% enriched uranium. And now they're being told that a necessary piece of the puzzle to even have an option of a military strike on uh, Iran's nuclear uh, weapons facilities could take up to two uh, more years. So there's obviously a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, uh, disgruntlement amongst uh, Israeli officials on, on that particular level. Finally, just a little bit about Israeli politics. We're really back to the, you know, the sort of fun and games, quote unquote, uh, the coalition of opposition. It doesn't matter what issue comes up. If the opposition are, uh, are supporting it, the coalition will, will stand against it and vice versa. Some of the issues you would think would get war tool support really uh, just, you know, uh, issues such as uh, being able to supervise missile uh, creating facilities to put extra safeguards, the opposition voted against them. Likewise, so it's, it's really causing, uh, uh, you know, neither side to compromise. You know, usually in normal times, you know, there, there would certainly be times where uh, opposition and coalition would vote against each other, even if it's uh, an issue of mutual concern. But those are only rare circumstances. Here it's rare, extremely rare, that they will vote uh, together on an issue. And it came to such a point that, uh, and it caused a lot of consternation this week, that uh, uh, Shirley Pinto, member of Knesset Shirley Pinto from the Yamina um, uh, party, the first deaf uh, MK, uh, gave birth uh, last Thursday. And uh, she was drafted in already uh, today or yesterday uh, to vote because simply, as we know, there's a 61-59 breakdown and uh, you had a couple of errant uh, coalition members. You had, uh, you had uh, uh, Kara, who wasn't happy about the, the new Green Pass rules for those who are vaccinated being allowed into malls and those who are not vaccinated not being allowed into malls. So he uh, took some time off from the, uh, from the plenum. And so that put it down to a bare minimum without uh, Pinto, then uh, it would have been 59-59. Then when he returned, you had uh, Taha of the Ram Party, who's not happy about uh, what's called the electricity bill that would provide the state provider of electricity would be also to unrecognized houses. That's something very important to the Arab community, to Ram. Uh, so the fact that they kept on having people sit out uh, meant that Shirley Pinto had to be drafted in because usually in these circumstances with someone ill, someone can't make it to the Knesset, someone's abroad, they have an offsetting tradition where um, someone from the other side of the, uh, the opposition would sit out to ensure that the person could grieve if it was for a loved one, get well if they're ill, give birth, you know, get time off. Um, but the opposition uh, did not agree to give uh, an offset for Shirley Pinto. So she had to turn up and that, as you can imagine, caused a bit of a consternation. She turned up with her baby. Uh, in the Knesset five days after, uh, you know, she gave birth, and there she was voting. Uh, Benny Gantz and Natalie Bennett, both of them who, who traveled abroad last week. Benny Gantz is a sit in Washington, and uh, uh, Natalie Bennett was the first uh, prime minister to visit the UAE on a state visit, and both of them had to be brought in pretty much from the airport to the Knesset plenum. They had to sit in an isolated area and vote from uh, the gallery. Uh, but that's what it takes these days, really, when they have such a slim majority and you have an opposition who's not prepared to offset their MKs, then that's the situation we're in. 
uh, a very uh, difficult situation at one point. The coalition decide, was going to decide to put off any of its votes because it didn't have the number. And that's when they decided to call in uh, the new mother, uh, Shirley Pinto. So politics has gone back to its uh, uh, you know, combative self. And I'm sure that's the way it's going to be uh, for the coming days and weeks. And with that, happy to answer any questions about those issues or any other. All right, thank you so much. So the first question we have in is from Jerry Weiner. Uh, are the attacks in, uh, mostly in Judea and Samaria, or is it more widespread into Israel and the West Bank as well? Well, Judea and Samaria are the West Bank. Uh, it's the same. It's the same area. Um, I mean, again, you know, if if you ask people who live over the Green Line, you know, there's attacks almost every day. There's rock throwing. There's a, a Molotov cocktail uh, launching of vehicles. There's all sorts of what some might argue minor attacks. These go on multiple times a day, but usually they don't make the media, even in Israel. Um, but the, the stabbings that, uh, that I was talking about, those are mostly happening in Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem seems to be uh, you know, where, where a lot of these places uh, take place. As I said, uh, the one on uh, the Shabbat, the Sabbath, uh, with the ultra-Orthodox uh, one, the one that uh, the video became famous, that happened just outside the old city. Uh, this stabbing of, uh, of a mother with her children uh, happened in Sheikh Jarrah, uh, Shimon Tzadik neighborhood, which is uh, just outside the old city in uh, East Jerusalem. So most of the attacks at the moment, the stabbing attacks are taking place uh, in Jerusalem. Thank you. Uh, David Levine asks, uh, regarding the refueling planes, is Israel working with its new Arab friends to arrange for refueling on the ground in the event of an Israeli attack on Iran? There was talk about that a long time ago, even before relations, that there'd be flyover rights, there'd be assistance with refueling. Uh, it's certainly not something which is going to be openly said. Uh, there is actually, if anything, the Emiratis actually had a meeting with the Iranians this week. So you know, like, like all things that, you know, trying to sit a little bit on both sides and try to calm things down, discuss and cooperate. Um, so it, it would be very unlikely you would find any of the Arab leaders, any of the Gulf Sunni leaders coming out openly and saying that it would give uh, Israel active assistance in any possible um, military strike. So certainly if there was such assistance, it would be clandestine be behind the scenes it would be something that everyone would want to try and uh, keep on the down low um, so it's certainly not something that's uh, being made public at this point. Thank you and Dr. Khan Lichi asks uh, regarding the government with the, the MKs voting more along the coalition versus opposition how long will this government last if that continues is there any any threat of the government failing because of that? Um, well, I said uh, a few weeks ago, now that the budget has passed, that the biggest threat has really been taken off the table because there's only really a certain amount of ways that a government can fall. A government can not pass a single law for another three, four years, and it can still survive. That's not what can bring a government down. Uh, not passing a budget in an appropriate amount of time, like we said, uh, would, would cause immediate uh, elections. Um, a, a, a non-confidence vote uh, could also bring down a government, but a non-confidence vote requires a alternative government, which means you need to have 61 uh, seats with you. 
At the moment, the opposition, at least uh, the Netanyahu-led opposition is 53 seats, because don't forget there's another six with the uh, joint list who would not sit in a, in a Netanyahu-led government. So at the moment, they're eight shy of being able to put together a government uh, for a no-confidence vote. And until you have that, you can't really put uh, a proper no-confidence uh, vote through. So that's not likely at this point. Um, as I've mentioned before, really the only party that could eventually at one point flip to the other side because of the numbers and because of the possible nature of coalition politics is uh, Benny Gantz's uh, blue and white. It has eight, he has eight seats, uh, prime, uh, former prime minister, I should say, Benjamin Netanyahu, who has been constantly uh, talking up the chances of Benny Gantz. If he comes, he'll be prime minister. Again, uh, that offer made the news this week. Uh, there's a lot of disquiet within the liquid of, uh, of that, because again, you can see someone um, with a minority of seats, a small number, single figure, uh, single figure seats, uh, becoming prime minister. You know, at the moment, they keep on reminding the coalition that it's been led by a prime minister with six seats. Well, uh, Netanyahu is offering uh, someone to be a prime minister with eight seats. So it's not that much different, but they realize that's the only possible avenue to get to their 61 because some of those smaller right-wing parties uh, do not have eight, whether it's Yisrael Beitenu, Yamina, or um, New Hope. Neither, none of those three are likely to move across, but even if they did, uh, they would still be short. Uh, and the other parties, let's say uh, Yeshatid or Labour, uh, are more to the left, so it's unlikely that they would ever be offered such a proposition, and they certainly wouldn't take it. So really, the only possible party uh, in that scenario is uh, blue and white. Another way that uh, government can end is if they pass a law to disperse Knesset, that you only need 61, um, or you actually need a majority. So it could be that some parties will abstain. Uh, but again, it would have to be a real, there'd have to be a real breakdown in the coalition, and we're not there yet. I, I talked a little bit about the what's called the electricity law, and it certainly was enough of a grievance for one of the MKs to sit out on some of the bills today, but the, uh, the leader of the Ram Party, Mansour Abbas, uh, went on the TV later, uh, some of the TV shows, and said, while ele the electricity uh, law is very important for us, uh, it doesn't deserve a, a, you know, a stress on the coalition, and not every single disagreement within the coalition is going to lead to a coalition crisis. So certainly that calm tempers down a little bit. Um, so at the moment, uh, the government is pretty stable, even if there are disagreements, even if there are ideological differences, there's no real threat to it at this point. Things could change, certainly, but uh, at the moment, uh, the, the leaders of the parties seem to be working well together. Yes, there are differences. Yes, there are disagreements There's on Twitter. Sometimes these battles like this week about uh, Omer Barlev's tweet, which I mentioned earlier, that took place on Twitter. This one attacked that one on Twitter. Then the left attacked back, the right attacked back. But that's pretty much where uh, you know it, it remained. It was more of a battle in the eyes of its ideological adherents, but not necessarily enough to do any damage, real damage uh, to the coalition. So at the moment, the coalition is pretty stable. Will it live out its whole existence? I wouldn't put too much money on it. Uh, that remains to be seen. Um, but at the moment, it's pretty stable. Thank you so much. Uh, Larry Dunn asks, when the security cabinet has to make a decision on whether to attack Iran, uh, will they bring Netanyahu into the decision making? 
Well, there is a rule that the opposition leader does get a security briefing. I believe it's monthly. Uh, usually gets an update. The atmosphere between the prime minister and the former prime minister at the moment is pretty bad. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how much they're speaking. Um, so that remains to be seen. But there's no there's no legal or constitutional need um, to bring in uh, the opposition leader. But uh, and and probably you want to if again this is a big if because we're not there uh, or even close to being there at, the, at this moment. But if there would uh, be a uh, possible uh, military strike. Um, I think you know you would assume you would want as few people as possible to know. And again, not not to make any aspersions on uh, the former prime minister, but in this political atmosphere, some people could hear about it and want to make political hay. Um, you know, uh, it, it, in, in the field of diplomacy or even security, there has been things which should be very problematic that uh, on. on you know, that have uh, been leaked, let's say. Uh, again, I'm not saying that Netanyahu would do such a thing, but uh, I think the atmosphere at the moment between the coalition and opposition probably means that uh, I doubt that anyone outside of a very small circle uh, would be aware of such plans and necessarily be updated in real time uh, to them. Andy Pallack asks, a report in today's Jerusalem Post is that Israel will suspend natural gas development for a period of time to focus on renewables. Can you give us some insight into the politics causing this action? Yes, this is a policy uh, by uh, Minister of Energy, Water and Natural Infrastructure, Karen Harar, very much put a focus on renewable energy has been really, she, she traveled to the COP conference and spoke about the need actually because she's in a wheelchair, there was this whole thing. I don't know if you remember, she wasn't able to get to give the speeches. Um, but she's she's put a lot of focus, and this government has put quite a lot of focus on renewables, on moving to renewable uh, energy and trying to do away with waste and, 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 and all that sort of thing. It did take a lot of people by surprise, uh, this decision, but the government certainly is putting uh, you know, its money where its mouth is. Um, last week, uh, Minister El Harar was in the UAE where she signed an agreement with Jordan, a, a real historic and unique agreement where uh, Jordan was set up a massive solar field because what Jordan has a lot of is territory, uninhabited territory, and Israel has growing uh, energy needs, especially in electricity. So they would then give us electricity and Israel in turn would give Jordan what it needs, which is above all water. It's, it's probably the most arid country in the world, has the lowest amount of cubic uh, meters of water per household in the world. So it was quite an interesting uh, deal. It was quite a historic deal, uh, trying to move to, you know, certainly uh, the, the solar panel fields is, is, is an attempt to move as much as possible across to renewables. Uh, and, uh, they, you know, there's talk of by 2050, where the majority of Israel's um, energy needs will be met by renewable energy. Um, so it's not a major surprise. Uh, but probably quite a lot of people, especially in the opposition, were quite surprised by this. Um, but then there's the argument that the whole sort of gas exploration hasn't really trickled down to the Israeli household level. You know, there was a promise of sovereign wealth funds. There was promise of lower energy costs. None of these things materialized. So uh, I think there'll be a certain amount of support for it, but there will certainly be a strong and robust opposition. I'm sure the, the debate will, will rage. 
but certainly this government with um, Karen El Haran, Environment Minister Tamar Zandberg, really stamping their, putting their footprint, their fingerprints, whatever you want to call it, on the Israeli government policies. And certainly there is a big push uh, within the Israeli government to move to uh, renewable energy. And this is probably one of the biggest manifestations of that policy. <coughs> Interesting. Uh, Joey Wolf asks, what is happening in the, to the tourist industry? Is this pretty much the same as the first lockdown or, or is this different? Well, Israel isn't in lockdown or anything close to, uh, but certainly foreign tourists are not allowed, non-Israelis are not allowed into Israel without, with a few exceptions, first degree relative celebrations, uh, things like that. Uh, yeah, the tourism industry is in a lot of trouble. Um, it was just starting to get back on its feet. Uh, Minister, uh, Finance Minister, Avito Lima uh, got into a bit of trouble this week because during a closed cabinet meeting, it was leaked that he said it's about time that uh, some of the people in tourism industry wake up and understand that maybe they have to be retrained or look for other jobs. He walked that comment back and he apologized for the phrasing of it. But um, it's certainly, you know, the, the, the tourism industry, there's a lot of demonstrations outside the Knesset. Uh, it's, 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 it's on its knees, as you can imagine. Um, anything to do with that. And obviously there's a lot of industries which are affected by the tourism industry. Tourism industry, you know, is, is a significant industry in Israel. And you can imagine, especially in the Christmas period with a lot of pilgrims, a lot of Christian visitors uh, is really gonna hurt uh, Israel even more so. But the policy at this point is, and they just extended it for at least another week is that no tourists can come in. Uh, and at the moment also even leaving the country is difficult. They just added the UK, France, Spain, the UAE, and a few other countries to the red list, which means Israelis are forbidden from going to some of these other countries. Uh, so definitely uh, the tourism industry in Israel, like in many other places around the world, is, is certainly being brought to its knees uh, during COVID. Yeah, well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. Absolutely. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar on Turkey's dangerous new exports, regional instability, and pan-Islamist visions. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a great day.